great song. I want to uh, have you turn your Bibles with me this morning to Isaiah 45. And if you were here last Sunday, you remember that I said that our Genesis that we have been um, going through for the last year and a half is now going to be moved to Wednesdays. So if you really want to continue to learn more about the book of Genesis, then you got to come out on Wednesdays. Because on Sundays, we're going to be focusing more on specific themes for every month. And we're going to be going through a lot of, this month is the theme of community. And hence, AJ's song, We Need Each Other. Um, I need you, you need me. And we're going to be hearing a lot of what God's word has to say about community. And um, that's why we're going to go back to, the only way to start is to go back to our roots, Isaiah 45, 2 and 3. And before I, I begin our scripture, I want to remind all the women that in your bulletin, you have a little flyer here. And this is a reminder, we have women's level training tomorrow. So I, I want to see all the women here. We have something special planned for you every Monday of this month. So uh, those of you who are leaders, I want to see you here with your disciple. If you've been saved six months, get yourself a disciple. Don't come alone. Bring somebody along with you. We have a lot of things planned for you in the next four, Sunday, four Mondays. It's from 7 to 9. We start on time. We end on time. We don't go to 9.15 or 9.30 because some of the dads are thinking, oh, my gosh, she's going to be out till midnight. No. We start on time. We end on time. And I really need all the dads' cooperation. You will not be babysitting tomorrow. You will be caring for your children. Dads, do not babysit. In case those words have ever come out of your mouth, what, I have to babysit? No. The only time you ever babysit is if you are not related. If they are your children, you do not babysit your children. You care for your children, just like the mother cares for the children, the father cares for the children. So. I'm going to ask all the dads tomorrow that you care for your children. Amen, dads? Amen. That was really weak. Come on, dads. <laughs> um, and then also I want to also remind you that next Sunday afternoon, right after the morning service, we will be having a newcomer's reception. And it will only be 30 minutes. Those of you who have been attending the church six months or less, we want you to come uh, we want to um, have you know who we are, what we're doing, what our focus is, where this church is going, and how we want you to become a part of it. So uh, just 30 minutes, that's all you need to be able to um, take from your time, and we want to be able to make the, maximize that time. And Pastor Sonny Jr. is coming, and uh, he'll be here in three weeks, and I want to prepare you because he has his guns loaded, not literally. Spiritually, he has his guns loaded. He's ready to come, and uh, he's excited. We're going to do a marriage night just for marriages. So um, he's, he's got some experience now. He's had four children in 11 years, pastoring the church, uh, overseeing a lot of ministry, and um, this is junior, not senior, junior. And... Uh, and so he has a lot of experience that he's bringing to the table. And so I want you to come out if you're married. You know what? Bring your unsaved friends. They're married. 
You know they're struggling, just bring them. It's just free, just bring them along and say, it's not church, it's a marriage thing. Just for marriages, so I want you to come and bring your spouse. Do not let the enemy keep you from coming out, because I already know what's going to happen. Friday morning, you're going to get into a fight. Friday morning, you're going to say, I ain't going with you to that thing. Now, that, that could sound like the husband, or that could sound like the wife. I don't know. But either one, it's going to happen. I guarantee it. So if you already know what's going to happen, what do you got to do? You got to start preparing. Be nice. Be nice. Be nice. No matter what happens, be nice. And you both come here on Friday night. Can I hear an amen? amen? And then on Saturday, we have a discipleship, and then Sunday morning, he'll be with us. So we got, we got a jam-packed weekend coming up. We got a lot of exciting things. If you belong to this church and this is your church, you are in for a great, great, great surprise because we are going somewhere. We are on our way. Now, it may not look like it, but we're on our way. We're going somewhere. How many of you say amen? amen. Isaiah 45, 2 and 3. This is what the Word of God says, and it says, this is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze. I'm reading at a new uh, international. Uh, I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. Some of you who were in prison, you wish you had that. Cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who called you by name. Amen? Go ahead and have a seat. Pastor Lenny, I don't have a title, so feel free. Give it a title after we're finished. For those of you who are new, this scripture was given to our pastor, our founder, Pastor Sonny Sr., over 41 years ago. And this scripture was given to him with a promise. And that promise was that God was going to use him to build a church and a ministry with people that were outcasts of society, people that nobody wanted to work with, people that were labeled forever outcasts. The kind of people that when you see them on the street, you walk on the other side. Our mission statement says that Victory Outreach is an international church-oriented Christian ministry called to the task of evangelizing and discipling the hurting people of the world. And this call involves a commitment to plant and develop churches, rehabilitation homes, and training centers in strategic cities of the world. Victory Outreach inspires and instills within people the desire to fulfill their potential in life with a sense of dignity, belonging, and destiny. That is our mission statement. And what does that mean? That means that that is what we shoot for. That is what we do. That is what we tirelessly focus our efforts on. Everything that we do here, and I mean absolutely everything, has to fall under this mission statement. If we're going to be doing anything, it's going to fit in here somehow, somewhere. We're going to inspire. We're going to instill. We're going to develop. We're going to train. We're going to do something that is involved in this mission statement. 
Now, some of you, you came to this church with no hope. You came to this church with absolutely no future. You came to this church and you said, I don't even have a destiny. But I want you to know something, that God has something special for you. God has a plan for you. God has a destiny for you. He has something that he has reserved, especially with your name stamped on it. See, you can be anything. You could be anything. When you were little, you wanted to be a fireman. You wanted to be a cop. You wanted to be, I hope, you know, you didn't want to be a thug. Some of you did, probably did. And you reached your goal. What happened? But others of you, you had a goal. You had a plan. And there is absolutely right now nothing standing in your way but you. You are the only one that's standing in your way. You are the only one that's keeping yourself from reaching the goal of becoming everything that God wants you to be. Your future has absolutely nothing to do with your past. Absolutely nothing. I don't care whatever pain you went through. I don't care whatever sin you committed. I don't care whatever difficulties you have had to endure. That is your past. That is who you were. That is not who you are today. You are washed and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You have a future. You have a destiny. The Victory Outreach values three things. We value cause. We value community. And we value corporation. And that is what I want to share with you on today. Because those are the three things that you need to know of where we're going and what we're doing. The first thing is a cause. Our cause is like the army. The army has a cause. We're battling the enemy every single day of our life, and our sense of purpose has to be to fulfill the mission. What is our mission? It's right here. This is our mission. It is always before you. Anybody who has ever been in the military, they know their mission. Every day it is drilled into them what their mission is. Every day they're being told, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. This is the way we're going to do it. And that's why we have our mission right here in front of you. Every time you come to church, we have it in our bulletins. We have it in our flyers. Everywhere you go, we're saying we have to reach the lost, restore the fallen, revive the saints. That's our mission. And it falls right in line with our mission statement. So how is, what is our mission? Our mission includes evangelizing the inner cities of the world. That's to reach the lost. We have street rallies. We have citywide crusades. We have one-on-one -on -one evangelism. And this just doesn't take place in our church. It takes place in every church of Victory Outreach all around the world. We've even sent people all around the world. We have missionaries who are sitting here right now in our congregation who have been to Asia, who have been to the Philippines, who have been to Indonesia. They've gone and they've actually been there. They've done it. They have evangelized. We're in over 39 countries of the world. We're doing something. We're not just a, you know, like when I first came to Victory Outreach and my pastor would talk about how we were going to reach the world. And we were in East L.A. and we, our church barely fit 100 people. And that was like tight. And he's talking about reaching the world. And I'm looking around and I'm going, mm, I don't know. But now that dream is a reality. 
because we are reaching the world and we're continuing to go out in more and more and more countries. Our mission is also to reach, to restore the fallen, to reach the hurting people. Now we've been given a responsibility to restore those who have been overcome, overcome with a setback. And I want to tell you that I want this church, you got, I want you to hear this, I want this church to be a place where people can come and get restored. Amen. Where people who have maybe made a mistake, who have fallen, who have had a setback, can come and receive mercy. But it takes all of us together. It can't just take one person. It can't just take two people. It takes everybody to understand that it takes mercy on all of our part. Now, I can stand before you right now and be honest with you and tell you, I was extremely, not a little, extremely merciless. I had very little mercy. If you slipped and fell, I'd say, just get up. And I'd just keep on going. Hurry up, get up, let's go. I wouldn't get down there to help you. I wouldn't get down there to lend you a hand. I wouldn't say, are you okay? I would just say, come on, get up, let's go. I was merciless. Maybe, you know, I, I tried to figure out why I was like this. I, I was doing an evaluation on myself. Pastor Neva <laughs> was evaluating me. And I say maybe it was because I didn't come from a prison background. I didn't come from a, a drug background. I didn't come from a low moral background. But in reality, as I was really evaluating myself, I began to really understand that I think I was probably worse than most of you. Because growing up in an alcoholic family where my father died of cirrhosis of the liver, at 35, his lifestyle and the lifestyle that I grew up with, with a whole family of alcoholics, hardened me very, very young. I grew up very hard because of what I saw in my family, what I saw in my grandparents, what I saw in my parents, what I saw in my aunts and uncles. Everybody was an alcoholic. Everybody was a mess. But when we all got together, Everything was cool as long as they were drinking. But let them go overboard in the drinking, and then everything started to come out. Anybody identify? And because I experienced so much pain, I think I got hard very, very young. And I hardened my heart so much that at 17 years old, thank the Lord, he looked down at me and said, if I don't get this girl now, she's going to be too hard. And at 17 years old, that's when Christ came into my life. And that's when he began to show me his love. And when I came to the altar, I wasn't like many of you, where you come to the altar and you ask him to change your life. That wasn't what my prayer was. When I came to the altar, everybody around me was asking God to change their life. Everybody around me, I could hear them saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I could hear all of these things. That didn't mean anything to me because the only thing that I needed God to do was to teach me how to love. At 17, I was already beyond that. I was like, you know what? I don't even know what love is. Everything and everybody 
that I have ever loved has either died or betrayed me. I had no love. And when I came to know the Lord, that's the only thing that I needed from him, is that to teach me how to love. My family was a life of no mercy. My family was a life of unforgiveness. My family was a life of bitterness. My family was a life of revenge. See, if you did something to hurt me, I just wrote you off. You didn't exist anymore. You were no longer a part of my life. You would have to crawl and beg to ask forgiveness before I would even speak to you again, let alone look at you. That's who I was when I was 17 years old. But I thank God that he gave me a husband who was so full of mercy. He gave me a man who through his life, he discipled me and he trained me to reach out to those who had hurt me, to treat those who had backstabbed me with mercy. I didn't always see my self-righteousness because if you didn't recognize it, that's all self-righteousness. But the more that I was in God's presence, the more I began to change. The more I got into God's word, the more I began to want to start reaching, hurting people with a message of hope in Jesus Christ. And it's so hard for people to believe that Christ can change a life when as a Christian, we can have so much attitude. We're grumpy. We're discouraged. We're unforgiving. We're angry. Some of us are even volatile. We claim to be Christian, and yet people are tiptoeing around us. Can't say this. Oh, don't say that. Some wives are so afraid to tell their husbands certain things because their husbands may explode. Some husbands are afraid to tell their wives because if she explodes, oh, forget it. Unless we allow him to change us through prayer and his word, God is going to have to bring some attitude adjustments into our life. And you know what those attitude adjustments are? Circumstances. Because if we don't pay attention to him in prayer, we don't pay attention to him in the word, we don't pay attention to him with the sermons, we don't pay attention to him when people are talking to us, then he'll have to use circumstances to get our attention. And boy, do circumstances hurt. And that's what he'll have to use. That's the bottom line. That's the last way he wants to talk to us. But if you don't pay attention any other way, that's what he'll use. If you're merciless this morning, take it from someone who has had to learn how to, learn how to express mercy. Let God transform your heart. Push aside the self-righteousness and let God make you merciful. The third thing that we do under cause is that we revive the saints. And that's part of our mission statement to make disciples and to become a disciple. And some of you are in the process of being a disciple. You're learning. You've only been here just maybe a month or two or three or four. But there's others of you who have been here six months, a year, two years, five years, 10 years. And I want to ask you, who are you discipling? Who are you taking underneath your wing? Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you actually taking the time to talk to on a weekly, daily, or every other day basis? Do you have anybody that you are actually pouring yourself into? 
Because if you've been here six months, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, it's time to get out of the Pampers training pants and get into some pants. Get out of the overnight diapers. You've been waiting around too long. Who are you going to deposit into? You don't need to be a theologian. You don't even need to be a graduate from Vethi. You don't even need to be a Christian for 25 years. All you need to do is to be one step ahead of whoever you are discipling. One step ahead. When I came into church, I started discipling girls, taking them underneath my wing. And I was only four months in the Lord. Four months. Now, you're probably saying, whoa, four months. Well, you got to understand, I had 12 years of Catholic school. And in those 12 years, I had learned about the Bible, Old Testament, not New Testament, pretty much all the Old Testament. I had the Old Testament down because we studied that a lot. And so we used to have Sunday school. And when I would come to Sunday school, guess what? We were studying Old Testament. So I was like... All full of answers. Oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah, I know that. So everybody was like, whoa, you just got saved. You just came to church and you know all this? I'm like, yeah. So guess what? They all started asking me questions and more questions and more questions. And it was pretty good for about a month. And then after that, I realized I better get to studying because these girls are asking me questions that I don't know. And so what they did is they pushed me even more to stay one step ahead of them. One step. That's, I didn't need to be three steps as long as I was one step ahead. That's all that was required of me. And some of you need to get out of your, oh, I don't think I could do this. Oh, I don't, I don't have the qualifications. Oh, I get into, you know what, be one step ahead. Pull somebody alongside of you and say, come on, let me mentor you. Let me disciple you. You only need to be one step ahead. Because the more people ask, the more they push you to grow. And the more they push you to grow, the more you're actually going to be able to see God use you in someone else's life. You need to have somebody that you're pouring your life into. Everybody. Secondly, after cause, then we have corporation. Now, this is the business part of our ministry. Corporation allows us to plan and strategize how to accomplish the mission, and more importantly, how to finance the mission. In Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, which is the other foundational scripture of our ministry, there's a portion in there that says, enlarge the place of your tent. After we win people to the Lord, we need to put them somewhere. We need to enlarge the place of our tent. We need a plan. We need a strategy of how to build and how to be self-supporting. See, corporation means that we are a financially stable church. We need to have financial stability here in Victory Outreach Hayward. See, we're in the process of fulfilling the scripture of Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, where we are enlarging the place of our tent. When, you first, when those of you who were here when we bought the building, this middle was all we had. This was the extent of our tent. And then what we did is we enlarged to the left, and then we enlarged to the right. So we're doing something about that scripture. We're actually taking it and we're living it right before your eyes. We are preparing for the people that God is going to bring to us from all different walks of life. 
We're a self-supporting ministry. We don't get government funds. Some of you may think we got this little niche over here where people are kicking down. I wish. We don't have any outside source. Look at each other and say, you're it. You're, you're it. You're the source. You are the source. Could we get government funds? Yes, we could. But I'm going to let you know something, that my pastor, and I'm following him, choose not to because of all the strings that are attached with government monies. Money that tells us we can't preach about Jesus. And even if it is faith-based, monies that will tell you you can't do this and you can't do that. When you have money, you control people. You know that. Money is not worth downplaying the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it never will be. We will not water down the gospel for the sake of money. But is getting funds tempting? Yes, it is. Believe me, it is so tempting. So I was just talking to someone the other day, and she says, so, so what funding agency do you get monies from? And I go, we don't get funds. What? Why don't you get them? I'll help you. I said, no, no. You can help me by coming to church, hearing the gospel, accepting Christ as your Savior. That's what will help. And she couldn't understand how we weren't tapped into a source. But I need to remind myself, just like I need to remind you this morning of God's word. He is our source. He is our source. Not anything or anyone else. He is our source. The scripture that I opened up with, 40, Isaiah 45, 2 says, I will give you treasures hidden in darkness. Now, we have known that scripture for so long, and we have taken that scripture to remind us that we are the hidden treasures. We're the ones that, were, that the enemy had, and we were in darkness. And then all of a sudden, we came to Christ, and now we're in the light. We were a hidden treasure. But I want to let you know something, that that scripture just doesn't mean you and me. I believe that scripture, that word treasure is talking about money. When somebody says, I got a treasure for you, what does that mean? I got something of value. I got something that is going to give you some finances. And I really believe that there are some hidden treasures, treasures in secret places. And we're not receiving money from anywhere, but I'm going to let you know something. We need to finish this building. It's not going to come from President Bush, and it's not going to come from Governor Schwarzenegger. It's going to come from us. God gave us the vision, and because he gave us the vision, God is going to provide the finances for the vision. We need to make this project a priority in our life. There was a story that I heard of a pastor who got in front of his church who they were in the middle of a building project. And he got up in front of them and he says, guess what? We have all the money that we need to finish the building project. And the church was, yeah, we did it. He says, got one problem. It's in your pocket. Got all the money, but you got it. I know the finances to finish this building are in the house. They're not across the street house. They're in this house. 
When I was watching the Republican and Democratic convention, I thought of how many millions of dollars were spent on those conventions. I don't know if any of you saw them, but man, it's, it was extravagant. And I began to pray about this project, and the Lord reminded me of Abraham and how he had become a man of faith and how he was faced with situations that needed him to just stand and believe on God's word. And that's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. That is how Abraham's faith developed, not seeing the visible, but seeing the invisible. I know that times are hard for all of us. There is not somebody, anybody in this room that says, you know what, I got enough. I got enough, I don't have to worry. Every single one of us is in a situation where we have a need. Our finances are being stretched. And when I was thinking of this, I thought of the widow woman in the Bible. And I thought of this widow who only had enough flour for her and her son. And she already had made up her mind that she was going to make this loaf of bread and then she was going to die, her and her son, because they had no other food. And she resolved that it was going to be done. And then the prophet of God came, the prophet Elijah, and he said, give me that bread. Now, that's kind of crude. And it seems almost harsh to be asking a widow for her last meal. See, widows were special. Widows were given favor in society. They were taken care of by everybody in the neighborhood because they were widows. And yet, as I began to think of this widow, I began to think of how God was growing her in her faith also. God was not finished with her yet. Even though she was a widow, God was not finished with her. God still had something that he wanted to do in her life. And I began to think of how God was doing that in my life. Just how God had a plan for her life, God has a plan for my life. And that plan includes an increase of faith. I am not standing here as a woman with great faith. I am standing here as a woman who has mustard seed faith. But I have grown to believe that God answers prayer. I know life is hard for many of you. But just like that widow, God is growing us and he's stretching us all. And that's why we need to stay focused. That's why we need to believe God for his word. Pledges that were made need to be finished. You need to stay faithful to the covenant that you made. With corporation, we need to stay on budget. Every event that we do has a budget. And we have to function like this and so does your house. You have to function on a budget in your house. If you don't have a budget, no wonder you're going over your budget every month. No wonder you're wondering, how are we going to pay this and how are we going to pay that? You need to have a budget. As a church, we need to pay our bills. We need to keep up our good name with our creditors. It's a bad testimony to say we're a church and that we're in debt to creditors all over Hayward. Right now, our good name is in jeopardy. It's not gone, but it's in jeopardy because the companies that did the work for us here have not gotten paid yet. 
And we need to be able to continue business and let our creditors know that we are going to be people of our word. We are going to pay our bills. Haggai chapter 1 verse 3 says this, and I want you to listen to this. It says, then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes and you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. When you brought your harvest home, it blew away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees. Everything that you've worked so hard to get will be gone. And that's found in Haggai chapter 1. And I read this because the people of Haggai's days were not putting the house of God as a priority. He said, take care of God's house, and I'll take care of your house. And that's the challenge that we had before us, because we need to take care of God's house. We must finish the house of God. We cannot let it go like this anymore. When we take care of God's house, God's going to take care of our house. Not only does the church need to be stable financially, but so do you. I want you to have financial stability. I want you to be able to grow and prosper. But how does that happen? The Bible says it happens when you give. I know it doesn't sound right, but you need to understand that giving is the key to your prosperity. You need to settle it. Some of you still struggle. Every time the word offering or tithes comes, you start going through changes. Settle it and stop struggling with it and be faithful in your giving. Stop vacillating back and forth. First Chronicles 29, the scripture that I'm asking you to memorize, says this, Lord, our God, all this wealth that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. My God, you test the heart and are pleased with uprightness. And now your people present giving and willingly to you. So your prosperity doesn't come when you hoard. It comes when you give. I know our backgrounds. I know my background. I didn't grow up giving. I grew up hoarding. I grew up learning that if I didn't keep it, it wasn't going to develop. I wasn't going to get more. And I never felt like I had enough. I never felt like, like I had enough to give. But I want to... I want to remind you today that God doesn't reward hoarders. He rewards givers. Talk to some tithers. Talk to different people. Ask them about the blessings that God has been faithful to them in. God is testing you. See if he won't do what he says he's going to do. Organization is not easy. 
and we're becoming more and more corporate as this building is going up even in our finances even in our office we're becoming more and more corporate budgets are being set ethics are in place but corporation also includes our image our literature is being upgraded we're trying our best to put our best foot forward and make sure that it's shined we're getting our website up and running in the next few weeks one of the things that I've actually stopped is making flyers on the printer because that is so old school that is like man there is no quality in that our corporate image has to be upgraded God is growing us and challenging us to shine and we need to operate as if this building is finished already and that we're packed out. We need to operate in our mentality and the way we do things on a different level. We can't keep doing it the way we used to do it because I'm not waiting for this building to get finished to change the mentality of me or you. I'm not waiting for this building to get finished so we can say, okay, now let's upgrade in our literature. Let's upgrade in our quality. No, we're going to upgrade now. Now, while we're still in the process of being finished so that it becomes an automatic thing inside of us where we're just doing it and doing it and doing it because it's in us. Most people want to wait till everything's in place. I don't. I want to operate like I really see it in faith. See, we're a church and a people of quality. And we need to exhibit that kind of quality in our building. Take care of the building that we have right now. If you see something on the ground, pick it up. If you see something on the ground in the bathroom, pick it up. Put it away. Don't let the fact that we have this building unfinished cause you to start thinking that it doesn't need to be fixed. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed in this building, and it can be fixed now, even while we're waiting for it to be done. See, I've been to third world countries before, and their floor is dirt. But I've also seen those women get a broom out and sweep that dirt. Why do they do that? Because their dirt got dirty. Their dirt brought in a lot of other stuff. And even though that's all they have are dirt floors, they're going to have the cleanest dirt floors around. And that's how I want you to think of this building. Even though it's not done, we're, we should have the neatest, cleanest, unbuilt building in Hayward. That's how it should be, and that's how you need to think. When it comes to quality, it's got to reflect not just in our building, not just in the way that we do things around here, but it even reflects in the way we dress. Now, most of us can't afford a suit from Nor Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus, but we can't afford to dress up. Now, sometimes we don't know how. The enemy has stripped us of our dignity in the world, and now the Lord is giving it back. So look around. If you don't know how to dress, it's okay. We don't all grow up like that. If you don't know how to match, look at somebody and say, I like the way they match. I like the way they look. Guys, look at other guys who know how to dress, who don't wear cross, uh, I mean, uh, checks and stripes, you know, or, or who wear purples and greens. Say, don't look at them. Look at people who know how to, you know, the guys that dress, and ask them, hey, how do you do that? How do you match? Because it takes an art to learn. And that's how you, you do it. You just look around and say, hey, I want to look like them. And they'll help you to learn how to dress with dignity.
Guys find guys that know how to dress, and girls find girls that know how to dress. Because when you come from a place that stripped your dignity, you come with the way that you came. And that's not how we stay. We may come in like that, but we don't stay like that. It's about being a woman of dignity. Find someone who can help you pick out clothes for your size and your shape. See, if some of you went to denominational churches where people grew up in suburbs, some of you would be kind of scary. A lot of you would be kind of scary. We have men and women here who have all kinds of tattoos. And there's people who would be scared of you. But in this church, you're not scary. In this church, you can't even impress us with your tattoos. Because tattoos don't impress us at all. We've got too many tattooed people to be impressed. And that's why it's not for you to flash. You got tattoos and you have them in places that you can't cover, that's great. But if you can cover them, cover them. Nobody needs to see all your tattoos on your, on your back, on your legs. If you can cover them, cover them. But if you can't, hey, then to all be to God's honor and glory that you, that's who you were and this is who you are now. Because we're a people of quality and we're a ministry of quality. And our journey group leaders that you all saw this morning, they've all been in training. They've been in training so we can be organized. Ministry leaders in this church need to be organized and need to have quality. Our children's church needs quality. Our gang ministry needs quality. Our worship team needs quality. Every ministry in this church, I want to have quality. We're building our image, not just the way we look, but even in the way we do ministry. We're going to do it with better quality. And lastly, we have community. We have cause, corporation, and community. And all this means is that we're family. This is why we call each other brothers and sisters, because we value relationships. We have a family here that meets each other's needs with a lot of love and a lot of compassion. We're a family church. If we were to release you to do greeting during the service and really do greeting, you would take up a good 15 minutes just with the fellowship. That's why sometimes we can't release for all of that because it takes a long time. We have to get you, come on, let's get back to our chairs. Everybody wants to fellowship and hey, how you doing? That's why you stay after church. Some of you want fellowship during church. We want you to stay after. It's called lingering fellowship. See, because the world will numb you to love and compassion. But in a family, that's where you get your healing. And as a family, this is where we accept people. We don't expect you to clean up first and then come to church. We take you just like you are. With all races, all nations, all sizes. Just come as you are. And this is what Victory Outreach does is we want to restore. That's what we want to do. And in our journey groups, we want to be able to serve you. We want to be able to help you. We want to be able to get you to know people, to be encouraged. And that's what we do. We encourage each other. When times are difficult, you'll have a group of people who care about you, a group of people who will say, are you okay? And they'll help you to get to the next level. We want to live out the scripture of Acts 2, where Christians devoted themselves 
to each other in fellowship and in the word. That's what our journey growth groups are, where they're going to devote each other to fellowship, devote themselves to each other in fellowship and in the word. We need family. My goal is to see every single person sitting in this room in a journey growth group, a place where we can sing and read, laugh and cry, eat and drink. Juice. A family. We're more than just a member of this church. We're family. And one of my favorite authors said this. And I want you to listen to this. He said, as a family, we are unified by our common weaknesses, our common failures, our common disappointments, and our common inconsistencies. That's what a family is. A group of people who are not perfect. A group of people who just want to band together because we, we all are inconsistent. We all have disappointments. We all have failures and we all have weaknesses. But when you put us all together, we uphold each other. Stand with me this morning. I've challenged you in a lot of different ways today. In your cause, in your community, and in your corporation. And I don't know what area God is challenging you to develop, but I do know this. We're going to change. We're going to get to another level. We're going to grow. We're going to change the image. We're going to finish this building. We're going to reach our community for Jesus. But it's going to take us all focused on the cause. All of us focused on our corporation. And all of us focused on community. And what I'm going to do this morning is the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to release all of the journey group leaders to go out. Not anybody else, just the journey group leaders because they're going to meet you as soon as you get out. And then as, as they leave, I want all of us to grab an arm, lock arms with each other. This is the altar call. This is it. The altar call is that each of you would get connected. Each of you would find yourself in a place where you not only support, but are being supported. Each of you would find yourself in a journey group where you can love, where you can be focused, where you can grow, where you can find a friend, where you can learn God's word, where you can be encouraged. 
And that's what I'm going to ask every single one of you, that you would make a commitment to God today, to not just be a part of the church, but to really be a part where you're going to commit yourself to grow. You're going to commit yourself to allow God to work in your life. You're going to commit yourself to read his word, to pray, to study. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, this is a totally different type of an altar call. And usually we have everybody come up, but you impressed upon me to just have everybody make the altar call right there in their seat. And as we locked arms with each other, this is the kind of church that I want to be able to shepherd. A church that locks arms with each other. A church that values each other. A church that esteems each other. A church that strengthens each other. A church that encourages each other. And Lord, we're going to be doing a new thing. And change is not easy for most people. Most people just like things just the way they are. But you're stretching us and you're growing us. In our cause, there are some who have been merciless. They haven't been part of the restoration in people's lives. They've held on to hurts. They've held on to betrayals. They've held on to unforgiveness. And I pray for them this morning that you would give them a heart of mercy. A heart that would reach out to those who need restoration. A heart of love, your love. I pray for those who have not taken this ministry to heart when it comes to corporation. Where they haven't even valued the piece of paper on the ground. They walked by things that they know were not where they were supposed to be and they just let it happen. They let the environment change them instead of them changing the environment. But I pray today that we would take to heart that though we are meeting in an unfinished building, that we're going to commit ourselves to finish this project for your glory and honor. And then I pray for everyone here that they get committed into a journey group, that they would allow the love of family members to come and infiltrate their life. Maybe they've had hardness because of things that have happened in their life. And that hardness has kept people away, but today they now know how you're going to use our journey growth groups to welcome them into the family of God. Change us, Lord. We need change. We need to be transformed in the way we think in the way we act, in the way we talk, in the way we dress, every which way we need you. Make this church a lighthouse, Lord. Help us to model what we want to see. I pray for every ministry leader here that they would take to heart the image and the quality that needs to be done here. That they would not allow the enemy to diminish that, but to even strengthen it that much further so that we can be a church 
that brings you glory, that brings you honor because of how we live our life for you. In Jesus' name. You're the God of this city. Just sing this song. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. And there is no one like our God. And there is no one like our God. For greater things have yet to come. And greater things are still to be done in this city. And greater things are still to be done in this city. Greater things are yet to come. And greater things are still to be done in this city. Greater things are still to be done in this city. There is no one like our God. And there is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. And there is no one like our God. There is no one like, there is no one like our God. Greater things, greater things are yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in this city. still to be done in this city. Greater things, greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. There is no one like, and there is no one like our God. There is no one, there is no one like our God. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Did the Lord speak to you today? Amen. Turn around, give somebody a high five, and say, I'm not going to be the same. Greater things are still to be done. When you walk out, don't forget your card. If you didn't hand it into the offering basket, you can hand it in to our journey group leaders who are waiting for you as you leave today. Don't forget our pink cafe also. God bless you. See you tonight. 4 o'clock for prayer, 5 o'clock for service. Come.